I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where I have an incredibly exciting announcement to make. I am taking this very podcast, Conversations of Inspiration, on the road with six live recordings taking place across the UK. Each episode will take place in a very special venue with a highly inspirational guest, including a speech from me and a chance to ask questions too. The evening will include wonderful entertainment, magical Holly & Co details, a fantastic opportunity to shop small business, drink a delicious tipple or two, mingle with like-minded people, make new friends, and I will ensure you will be thoroughly and utterly inspired. I believe that one conversation has the ability to change the course of your life forever, and I want it to be mine. So don't delay. Get your ticket to Conversations of Inspiration, the podcast live in partnership with NatWest. We'll only be recording six live episodes this year, so make sure you don't miss out. Head to holly.co to get your ticket today. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm speaking to Chrissy Rucker, CBE, founder of The White Company. In my early days of starting out in business, there were very few female entrepreneurs out there to aspire to, but Chrissy was definitely one of them, so I couldn't wait to hear her journey firsthand. Chrissy founded the White Company 25 years ago now from her kitchen table, starting as a small mail order business and growing to a well beloved, admired brand and an icon of the British High Street. She now has 50 stores around the UK and two in America, turning over £200 million with an online presence to rival her shops. I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to Chrissy in her White Company HQ, where we spoke about her 25-year journey, how she has weathered the storms of retail, juggling a business whilst raising a family with an entrepreneurial husband to boot, and her work with the Princess Trust Women Supporting Women, and how we can all help encourage, inspire, and champion women to start their own business. Hi, Chrissy. Thank you so much for your time today. I know what a super busy woman you are and what an honour it is to be sitting opposite you. When I started building Not On The High Street now nearly 14 years ago, there were very few women founders or CEOs that I could aspire to, but you were definitely one that stood out for me. You were so successful with this most beautiful brand, blazing a trail for us future female entrepreneurs. So firstly, thank you for inspiring us all and thank you for inspiring me. Oh, well, thank you so much. Holly, I have to tell you how much I've been really enjoying your podcast. So it's just an absolute pleasure to come and do this today. And I've loved listening to all your entrepreneurs' stories. And I feel I've learned so much just by listening to... What an honour coming from you. First, I'd love to start with your story, actually. Going back to those early years, you left school with no formal business training, but you started the White Company aged 24. Can you take us back from growing up to then starting the business? So I grew up in Kent. I had a wonderful chaotic childhood surrounded by dogs and horses and living in the country. My parents divorced when I was quite young, when I was eight. And I always say now how lucky I am because I have four parents and I have two amazing step-parents as well. I wasn't a child who thrived at school and so I was 
very happy when I managed to leave age 16. I went on to London where I started to study couture and design and that was something I absolutely loved. I was incredibly lucky then to go on and to start working in magazines. That was five years where I learnt so many new skills that have definitely equipped me for life. And later on, uh, when I met Nick, he encouraged me to start the business that today has become the White Company. Wow, my goodness. Tell me about then starting the White Company. What was that journey like? Really, it was meeting Nick that was the catalyst. When we met, uh, he had just started his own business. He worked in a tiny little office in a basement in Portobello Road and he was selling shirts. And I watched him every day getting up and going to work and feeling absolutely passionate about what he did. And I think I realised that the job I was doing at the time didn't make me feel that way. And I longed to have that same energy and passion that he had. I often joke that uh, if it wasn't for Nick, the White Company would never have started. He is a notoriously slow mover. And (laughs) it took me six months to get my first kiss. We'd been dating for about four years. And he bought his first house. And being, I suppose, you know, very involved in his business and a boy not very interested in decorating a house, I thought, okay, here we go, this is it. This is my opportunity, and I can show him that I am excellent wife material. So I offered to help him kit out his first house, and off I went, shopping, and very quickly, I had a major confidence crisis. I discovered that actually kitting out your first house is not a very easy thing to do. I also found there were two very clear ends of the scale. At one end of the scale, you had fabulous designer, beautiful quality, but expensive. At the other end of the scale, you had high street, poor quality, poor finishing, but much more affordable. The other thing I felt was I was completely overwhelmed by colour and pattern and so much choice. And I think I probably just had a panic attack. (laughs) And so drawing on my days in magazines where I really discovered that simple is best, I decided that I was just going to stick to white and I was going to buy white towels, white bed linen, white china, white bathrobes. And then, you know, there was this enormous gap. It just, it wasn't there and you weren't able to buy great quality that was Mm. affordable. So that's really what I set out to change. And the moment I realized I could do it was when I discovered my first factories and discovered that they were supplying all these fabulous designer brand names that I loved. But in fact, if I bought the product over and sold it directly to the customer, I could deliver fantastic designer quality at a much more affordable price. Gosh, it is an amazing story because like many of them, they, it comes from quite a simple concept and you've built such a phenomenal brand. You're very successful. It's been 25 years now, although your story shows that you haven't had this formal business training. And through my podcast, what I'm realizing is so many successful entrepreneurs, none of them went to business school or received MBAs. They've used the experience of the university of life and they've learned very, very quickly on the ground. So tell me about what lessons in early life helped you to run your business, helped you to build the White Company? Riding competitively as a child was one of life's great experiences. Essentially, it it taught me how to fail, to just get back on when you Mm. do fail. I also learned that to win... You had to train incredibly hard, work incredibly hard, be very very committed and to really listen to advice. My mum found a riding 
teacher for me who lived locally. He was 19. I was his first pupil ever. And he went on and he became the, the chef to keep for the Olympic team oh in later life. What a good find, Mum. So I had this incredible man in my life when I was very young who I went on this amazing journey with, learning to ride, learning to improve, learning to fail and learning to get back on. And I think it just gave me fantastic resilience, which has been an incredible thing to have yeah I can imagine at all Um, so horses played an enormous part in it my passion for you know I was hopelessly unacademic I left school just scraping through with six O levels and I went on and I found my real love which was design and creating products and I think in the magazine world I learned a huge amount as well The wonderful thing about working at a company like Condé Nast or Hearst is that you get thrown in at the deep end. You get given opportunities that you can just take. And it's a little bit sometimes sink or swim. But Mm. there I learned how to put a shoot together, how to style a picture, how to pull together a good article, how to research. And I was a hopelessly bad writer. (laughs) But um, I learned so much, you know, having that experience. And I think also what I really learned is that often simple is best. When you look through a camera and you create a picture, I find often by taking things out, it becomes much more beautiful than by putting too much in. I was also lucky enough to work at Clarins for a while in the, in the PR department. And there I learned about marketing and PR. And that was also a great skill. I sit with you and I, I think about the amount of catalogues I've looked through at the White Company. And just hearing you now form those thoughts about what you see through a camera. And I can just see it in every single catalogue. There is Chrissy staring back at me and I get the honour of you saying this all to me firsthand so thank you. I just want to talk about this entrepreneurial spirit and ambition that you had. What gave you that confidence at 24 to start out? I don't know that I really had this entrepreneurial spirit at that age. I think I was just so inspired by Nick and seeing what he did, and seeing how he felt. And he gave me the confidence to start. He said, you can do it. This is a great idea. Go for it. And the wonderful thing about being young is you're naive, and you just, I honestly just thought, do you know what? I'll do this for a year, and if it doesn't work, I'll just get another job naivety it's a wonderful thing when I mentor small businesses now and I say you know actually don't be too expert in your field because you don't want to know what's out there just just plow on ahead ahead. just do it you started in 1994 at the tail end of a recession the landscape was very very different to today and I can't quite imagine you know no internet definitely no social media and you started your brand through these mail order catalogues can you tell me what were those early days of running your business like Well, Nick let me have an attic room in his house, and that was my warehouse. Um, In the first (laughs) year, I sat in the top of this house, which was very hot, I seem to remember. I had two phones, a fax machine, and a computer that I really didn't know how to work. (laughs) My sister helped me out in the first year, and I also had my first dog. So it was kind of sort of me, my sister, and the dog. And basically, I... I shot the brochure, sent it out to all my friends, all my friends of friends, and then I drew on my skills that I'd learnt in magazines and learnt in PR. I didn't have an advertising budget at all, so I wrote a press release and I sent it out. The journalists liked the idea of the business and we had some wonderful articles that really helped us to get going. By the end of the first year, the warehouse had moved down from the attic into the bedrooms, into the bathrooms. Well, you were taking over the house. Down into the living room. (laughs) And he decided to throw me out. Yeah. (laughs) 
and all your boxes. <laughs> Sometimes people sort of say, you know, how how did you manage to to start and to pay for it? And back then, you know, I quite simply I went to the bank manager on the high street. I had a small business bank manager who helped me enormously. And he sent me off to the local Hammersmith and Fulham organisation called Centec then. And they gave me a grant. So I had a grant of £60 a week, which meant that I could buy food and I'd go home a lot to see my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think the thing is, having been a student, I'd learnt to live very frugally and... It was a really exciting year. I made so many mistakes, but it was a fantastic learning curve. And the wonderful thing is that the business started and the customers started to tell us quietly that they were loving what we were doing. Gosh, going back to my early experience of the White Company, I was definitely one of your number one fans. I remember being blown away by the brand. It was so simple, as you've mentioned, so beautiful. The quality of the bedding was always impeccable. And I've always tried to make my bedroom into this haven, especially when we work long hours and we're a bit shattered. My bedroom is this place that no one else can come into. Well, Frank can when he goes to sleep, but that's about it. I always remember saying, up, but you know, my pinnacle moments in my career were scattered with a white company little story from saving up to get that first white company candle, but not with one wick, maybe three wicks. All these little elements getting great towels for me, it was that sense of I'd made it, I've got something from the white company. And I used to love walking into your shops and being engulfed with these gorgeous scents and everyone was amazing at customer service. There was this attention to detail. You've created such a strong company and weathered four recessions. It's 25 years old. What advice could you give the small business community on building such a strong brand? Getting the product right is, is first and foremost the most important thing. And, you know, the one thing I've always tried to do with the White Company is find fantastic quality and deliver it for a very affordable price. So getting your suppliers right, you know, being really fastidious about the quality and really fussy about every design and detail of the product... I always say to the team, you know, it's detail that makes or breaks the product. And I'm, I know I drive them all bonkers because <laughs> when they first show me a new range, the first thing I will do is say, right, this is great, but how can we make it better? And I always try to push every single product to the next stage of improvement so I can't tell you how passionate the entire team and I are about every single product we create. When it comes to creating a brand you need to really think about what's going to make you different, what's going to make you stand out, what's going to make you better and it's as important to understand what your brand isn't as much as what your brand is. The only way you can grow a business is by developing an incredible team around you. So making sure that your team really understand the DNA of the brand is crucial. It's dangerous if your team don't really understand it because they'll start creating the wrong kinds of products. Mm. So we do a huge amount of work on brand you know, where, where we see ourselves positioned in the market, where we think our price positioning should be, and what, you know, exactly what kind of products we think we should be selling. And I regularly say to the team, no, that's not the kind of product we should be selling. So it's about being ruthless. It becomes very challenging because as you grow, you start to have people who study your sales in the business. And you'll find moments where you might find that a product that is borderline for the brand starts to sell incredibly well. It can potentially take you in the wrong direction. I always give the example of, a, of 
the blue shirt. You know, we are the white company. And as much as, you know, occasionally we will bring in a very pale blue shirt. And the sales of the pale blue shirt will sometimes outstrip the sales of the white shirt. Your team will then say, let's do more blue. But of course, if we did more blue, that wouldn't be the right thing for the brand. So there's a very interesting balancing act that comes along at a later stage on you know, making sure the product is absolutely right for the brand. And it is that that keeps the brand intact and on track. God, that's fascinating. I can imagine I, I have similar experiences and it's hard, isn't it? Because it's, it's something that's very, very difficult to communicate because you're growing a brand and the blue shirt might be selling well. And as you said, everyone jumps for joy. Well, look at this, this is an opportunity. But going back and stripping it out and saying, hang on, stay true. Yes, the blue's now, but if we go down that path, we're turning right and we've got to be turning left. Yes. And it's that founder DNA. It's what makes the white company the white company that you are able to say that so confidently. And I think that's where brands can get really into a tricky position where the sales are there. So the sales are there. We should do what the sales say. And it's that confidence that you've had to just keep things on track that has seen you weather all these storms. We have, um, we have a brand book in the business. And the brand book sets out what our product is, what our customer service experience is, and what every touch point that the customer experiences should be. In this age of online and digital, you still believe in the power of the catalogue. I've had my own experience with paper, the dreaded paper, versus a marketplace where you can imagine it was all about online and not paper. And yet we had this wonderful love affair with our catalogue. You still produce these incredible catalogues. Can you tell me about this? You know, for us, I mean, obviously we started as yes. a catalogue business. Yes. Um, so it's sort of really in our DNA. Today, the business is exactly 50-50. So we are 50% retail and 50% what we call direct. So that's coming through online and through the brochure. And, I mean, we know that for us, the, the brochure is, is still a critical part of the marketing of the business. And we have customers who tell us that they, they love it when it arrives. They sit down, they have a cup of coffee. It's a bit of time out. They take it to bed with them. And perhaps because we are, we're a very home-orientated product, you know, creating your home and building your home, making the rooms mm. feel fantastic mm. is, is something that takes time. It's something you want to research. And, you know, we hope that all of the lovely images that come together will hope will work as an inspiration mm. and and will allow every customer to sort of draw the bits that they like from it for their own home but for us we know that if we stopped the brochure it would dramatically affect our sales it's still a very much very loved part Each week on Conversations of Inspiration, we're running a competition with our partner, NatWest, where if you are a small business or independent, you are in with a chance to win this very ad break coming up. A free advert to showcase your business to hundreds of thousands of listeners, thanks to NatWest's generosity. This week's winner on our ad break is Mustard. Over to you. Hi there, I'm Jess, and I'd like to take a minute to share with you the story of Mustard. Almost two years ago, I went to Australia to meet my brand new nephew. My sister Becca has lived down under for over seven years, and on that trip, we got talking once again about our dream to launch a business together. When talking about what we love, Becca got hung up on the idea of lockers. She has always loved vintage furniture. I wasn't so sure at first, but the more we talked, the more I could picture them in my own home. We spent the next 12 months researching and developing the look and feel of the products, as well as the brand, and forged a plan to launch at a trade show in Sydney. 
Almost one year after the idea was originally born, we took our products to market and were absolutely blown away by the response. Our idea of creating beautiful lockers designed for the home, kids and workspace was better received than we could ever imagine. We ended up smashing our goals on the very first day and ordering four times the volume we anticipated. The Australian launch had gone well, which meant the next steps were not too scary. A career change was exciting and after 10 years in fashion buying, I went full-time with Mustard just one month before launching in the UK. Six months later, and we have over 100 stockists selling in 11 countries and our tiny business is growing from strength to strength. We both still work from our living room offices, we manage all the ins and outs of Mustard and best of all, we get to do it together. The shorty, the skinny and the baskets are what we sell, but for us it's about connection. Connection between us as sisters and connection to our customers. It's about creating beautiful, practical products that add something special to homes, keep things tidy and look damn cool. You can find us on Instagram at mustardmade and online at mustardmade.com and I hope you have a great day and enjoy the rest of the podcast with Holly. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. One of my most asked questions is how I achieve this work-life balance. The thing I say is I'm actually most passionate about trying to phase out this outdated term. I know in my past I saw work-life as these scales, this balancing act, and it's not been helpful. Mentally, it's not been helpful to put this pressure between this perfect balance that I was striving for. You're an incredibly busy woman and I know you have an amazing CEO now, but you're very much at the helm still of this business. You're married to an successful entrepreneur, Nick Wheeler, the founder of Charles Stewart, and you have three grown-up children. I'm wondering if you could share any learnings or advice to help women and men not feel like they're failing at trying to balance these scales called work and life. In a funny way, the White Company is my fifth child, so I sort of think of it as being part of my family. You know, the honest truth is, I think there are times when it goes really well and you feel like you've really cracked it, and there are times when it just completely falls apart. <laughs> and, and I think you've just got to just go with it at that time. For me, the way I make it work is that I realised fairly soon when the business was about six years old that I was not going to be able to be the CEO of the business and run the business and also run my family life as well. So the first thing I set about doing was employing my first managing director and I looked really long and hard at where I felt I could add value to the business and where I desperately needed help. So the key to it for me has been surrounding myself with a team of of really amazing people. The way I make it work is I put everything for family in the diary first. My life is run off a spreadsheet. I have six <laughs> columns. I have a column for Nick, a column for me, a column for each of the children. So everything for family goes in first. Then everything for work goes in next. Then social life goes in. And I can tell you there are lots of times when so the social life has to go on the back burner. But, you know, when the children were very small, really, it was, I just sort of thought, as long as everything is working well at home and the children are okay, then it it enabled me to work well. I mean, the beauty of having your own business, too, 
is that you can make things work around your 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 children's life as well. So you know, if you want to drop them to school and go in a bit later, you can. If you need to leave for something in the middle of the day, you can. And then you just pick it up later and you work in the evening and you make up the time later on. A nanny was my, you know, has been my absolute first priority because I learned very quickly that if things weren't working smoothly at home, we've been lucky enough to have the most incredible nanny who has been our nanny, who's been the children's nanny, and she has been an absolute rock in holding us all together. Has she stayed with you always? So she, I mean... Our, you know, our current nanny has been with us for over 10 years and, wow. you know, she's, she's still here and we couldn't do what we do without her. So having that linchpin or, you know, support from yes. a family member is, is, is crucial if you have young children as well. You learn that you, you need to look after you because when you fall over, that's when things really start to go wrong. You do need to stay fit, you need to eat well, you need to get enough sleep, and you need to learn how to manage stress. And somehow you need to make time to do things together as a couple as well. So life, you know, it isn't a race. And I see I see today a lot of young people thinking that they've got to go incredibly fast. And... I often reflect on the hare and the tortoise and in a way we've probably been more of a tortoise and my motto has always been think about growing strong and safe and that's also you know I've never taken in outside investment in the business so it wasn't possible to grow incredibly fast but I think that has been uh, incredibly helpful and I look back now 25 years later and I'm so happy that I still own 100% of the business but it comes down to working out how to spend your time working out where you can add the most value and where you really don't add any value and building the most phenomenal team around you you know they they I always say you know it's the team here who really make it happen and I simply couldn't do it without them Did you ever suffer from um, mother's guilt? Because for anyone listening who's struggling with that, I'm just interested what advice you could give. I know that your children are very passionate about your business. Is that right that your daughter now works for the White Company? And so you haven't screwed them up. They're still there living, breathing, and yet you are a woman and a mother who's built a career. Did you suffer from that guilt in the early days? There have been plenty of times when I felt like I was doing everything badly. And I remember one time when I was really struggling and I went home and I said to the children, oh, I, you know, I can't carry on like this. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to sell the business and I'm going to concentrate on being a better mum. And they said to me, no, <laughs> mummy, <laughs> it will be fine. You know, we love what we do, you do and we're proud of what you do. And I've always tried really hard to make sure that I was there at the crucial times for them. So, you know, I always wanted to be the person who was there and put them to bed at night. Talking is so important. Mm, the weekends were sacrosanct. They were always for the children and the children always came first. Mm. I, I certainly went through a stage when building not on the high street that I materially thought I was damaging my son and I struggled so much you know I missed his first steps and these just early experiences and if someone had told me back then how important it was going to be in Harry's education of life and that I shouldn't be riddled with this guilt because actually I was going to help him fly because I was this beacon of inspiration for a young boy looking he used to think that he asked me once um, he calls me Bubba Bubba do you think I can run a business and I said well of course Harry you can but I'm not a girl 
he said to me. And I thought, well, there you go. There you go. Something has gone in there that's good. And I don't need to be sick with worry. And as you said, it's all about the quality of time rather than quantity. You know, those weekends, those putting to bed, being there at a school play or something like that. And it's that quality of time I I say to people don't worry that you don't have this endless stream they don't want you to be around all the time that they wanted you to get back to work they definitely didn't want mum to be selling the white company and suddenly being on their backs all the time but something else I'd love to talk to you about I'm in total awe and I need a bit of advice myself I've recently become a shop owner and I believe that you now have over 50 stores I've just opened my second space next door to my first, but I'm literally in there the whole time, checking everything, making sure the customers are having a good experience, that everything's running okay. I find two shops exhausting, and I can't quite imagine with over 50 what you feel like. First of all, what was it like growing from one shop to over 50? And how do you think about scaling your business? Because you've obviously done that so successfully. Well, we opened our first shop when we were about five years old, and it was tiny. And the reason we opened it was because lots of customers were actually coming to the warehouse and asking if they could see and touch and feel the product. Back then, buying from a brochure was quite nerve-wracking. It was in the days a sort of cheap and cheerful mail order and a lot of people didn't believe you could actually buy great quality yes, shopping that yes. way. Okay, so yeah. for us, it became a very important thing for customers who wanted to come and see and touch and feel the brand themselves before they had the confidence to buy. I think, again, you know, our approach to this has been, it's been a tortoise approach. So we opened one store, we made lots of mistakes, we tried to learn from the mistakes, and we began to learn what was working well and, you know, what we needed to improve on. Opening shops is expensive, mm-hmm. and we went at it quite slowly. I mean, we really, we opened two to three a year. We didn't suddenly open one shop and then open 50 we waited very patiently and we searched for the right shops in the right locations in the right prime towns where we knew that our customer lived close to and that we knew were thriving so it was a very much a strong and safe approach and then obviously the customer service is absolutely critical. There are so many stores where I've been in and you'll have the the sales assistant chatting to her friend behind the desk when really you would love her to help you and give you a bit of advice. And so we're absolutely passionate about how we train the teams and how we equip them with really good product knowledge so they can really help the customer. But also not to be too pushy and to to be sensitive to the customer's needs. So if you can see that she wants to browse and and be left alone and then to be there with with knowledgeable help when you can see that she needs it or she comes and asks for it. Are you able to walk into any of your shops and not touch something or tweak something or I think I will never lose that (laughs) (laughs) it's just my instinct to walk uh, to look at something and think that's lovely now how can we make it better yeah I can imagine (laughs) but we had the team do such an amazing job as if it wasn't enough you then decided now that the UK is a white company haven in 2017 you took the brand international and you opened your two new shops in the US. I'm just interested what that experience was like because I feel I'm constantly told that America is quite notoriously hard to crack. Jo Malone said she always was told that and she did it anyway. What has been your experience? It's been really exciting to launch into the US and we are learning every season much more about the American customer. The wonderful thing is, is that we're seeing that the American customer likes very similar product to the British customer. Really? So that's, that's been really encouraging. Starting a business in a country you don't live in 
has been challenging. Getting the team right on the ground and actually really understanding what you need in a mm-hmm. new country has been a really interesting journey and we're learning all the time but we're really excited with how it's going and we're delighted because we just started a new partnership with Nordstrom and we're on the Nordstrom website now and we're going into some of their stores as well which will be really exciting. And what I've learned is when you launch into a new country, if you don't live there running the business 100% of the time, you do need help, probably from a great partner who will help you to position the brand and to give your brand visibility because it's a very big country. (laughs) (laughs) And you're almost doing it again, aren't you? Because in a way, you're starting the white company again. It is like starting the business from scratch. Looking at Holly & Co versus not on the high street, I I had this sort of confidence that I wasn't going to make the same mistakes. Have you found that you've um, repeated a few mistakes? Or do you know what I mean? You think that you're going to launch again and you're thinking, I can do this. This This is okay. Have you found that, that there's been a... You could draw on some of the lessons that you've learnt or has it just been quite like doing it again? Because it's obviously a different landscape, literally. One of the things I've really seen is that when we started here in this country, obviously our customers came on the journey with us. Yes, yes. So we started very small, a very, very you know, tight, yes. small group of products. And they came on the journey with us. And one of the things the American customers have said to us is, gosh, you have such a breadth of product. And we probably haven't been good enough at telling our story, telling, you know, explaining our well, heritage to the customer. Something else I couldn't wait to talk to you about. I'd love to talk about something that's very close to my heart. I was lucky enough yesterday to be at the Prince's Trust Awards and actually this introduction to the Prince's Trust is all down thanks to you. You've very kindly asked me to become patron of Women Supporting Women, which is a part of the Prince's Trust and you're the silver patron. Could you tell our listeners a bit about it and how we can all help? So this is such a passion project for me. And we've been involved and supported the Prince's Trust for over 10 years. And we've loved supporting both young men and young women through the programmes there. But what we were starting to see is that actually less young women are going through the Prince's Trust programmes than young men. So we really wanted to sort of try to change this. The young people that we help have grown up in phenomenally challenging environments where maybe they haven't had real sight of what is possible in life. So often confidence becomes a real issue. The effects of social media are having a very dramatic effect, particularly on young girls. As a mum, the the piece that hit me so hard and that really shocked me, because you actually sort of don't think that this is happening in this country, is that last year, 92,600 girls between the ages of 11 and 17 were dropping out of school and dropping out of the system. And, you know, we're living in a world where there are currently nearly 400,000 young women not in education, not in employment and not in training. The NHS data for self-harm is is really alarming. There's a 68% increase in self-harm in young girls under the age of 17. And that's been going on for the past decade. Um, and the, the, the new figures are showing that young girls are particularly susceptible from suffering lack of confidence um, as a result of social media. And interestingly, social media seems to affect young girls much more than young men. So, so what this project is really about is we are trying to galvanise incredibly successful women 
And what's really interesting is you'll see that so many successful women have had challenging journeys, but we are trying to galvanise these brilliant women now to help our young women who've had a very challenging start in life and to give them a chance to realise their dreams too. The campaign is called Change a Girl's Life and what we're really hoping to do is change as many young girls' lives as we possibly can. Oh, I get all teary just because, well, we spoke off air about my passion to help you in any way that I can. And we already were starting to think of ideas just with the few minutes that we had. And I just think it is this power of women helping other women. And it's just this power that we all have, this maternal instinct that we can pass on. Something I personally want to change, and I think it's in the statistics that you were talking about, is this imposter syndrome. On International Women's Day, I spoke about recently the Rose Report, which was created by Alison Rhodes, the deputy CEO of NatWest. And she was asked to create this in-depth study of why women are not creating businesses at the rate of men. And the reported stat of the differences between men and women starting businesses is 150,000 every single year. Now, if they had, if we had parity, over four years, that would be 250 billion pumped into our country. So this idea of helping support women, it's not just charitable, it's a necessity, you know, and whatever we can do to help people who are disadvantaged with that crazily brilliant idea, or that they've got something burning inside of them that they just don't know how to tell anyone about. It is our responsibility to believe in them and to push them. I'm just wondering, um, can I ask, have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome? Oh gosh, you know, it's so often when I get together with a group of girlfriends who started business, you know, we joke about how we had to fake it till we made it. (laughs) And, um, You have to try and find the confidence and be confident. And on the inside, you might not be feeling very confident at all. Terrified. But we laugh a lot about how we all feel. We've definitely done a lot of faking it. We made it. For me, you know, the starting point was, you know, having that inspiration. So seeing what Nick was doing was what inspired me. And then seeing his story and, you know, seeing the good and the bad of what goes on, you know, really helped me to get going. So if we collectively can inspire the next generation of young women, if we can share our stories and explain the good and all the bad that goes with it, they can see that it's hard work, but boy, it's so rewarding as well. I think mentorship is so important. You know, when I look back at my life, I feel so incredibly lucky to have met some amazing people. Some I've known well, some I've barely known at all. And I just believe that passionately that a conversation can change everything. Mm. You can go from feeling confused Mm -hmm. to feeling hopeful. You can go from feeling quite alone to suddenly feeling part of something that's really exciting. Something that I'm very inspired about you is that you've been running your business for over 25 years now. I meet so many small businesses who fall out of love with their business or they lose their passion for it. Have you ever had a moment or do you have any advice for those listening on, you know, how to stay in love with your business, how to keep that enthusiasm and passion for running it? Start a business doing something that you love, that you're passionate about. I mean, I just feel so blessed. I get up every day. I love what I do. I love creating product. I love the people we work with. There's nothing more thrilling than than somebody telling you that they love the white company. And watching the business grow, watching the team grow, and seeing the journeys that people come on when they start here and as they progress through the business. It just 
makes me feel really proud. And because the listeners mostly on this podcast are people maybe dreaming of starting a small business, dreaming about their dreams, or they've started that journey. Do you have any advice that you could offer the small business community? Find something that you love. Give it everything. Give it your all. Work out how you'll stand out. Work out what makes you special, what makes you different, and why your business is needed. And I think that's a really crucial bit you either need to take something that exists and do it much better or you need to create something that's filling a gap and a need in the market don't be afraid of failing the whole way through building this business we've adopted our test and learn approach we try we fail we learn fast and we keep looking forward it's crucial to be someone who makes things happen and to be a solution finder if something's not working stop it (laughs) and and do something differently don't be afraid to ask for help conversations are truly life-changing you know one thing I found is it's amazing that the help and guidance that that people are very often very willing Mm. to give If people say no, ask again and focus on your team and building your team. Creating the vision together is crucial and then you make it happen together. Be honest. If you make a mistake, say sorry fast. Be a good listener. Be kind and give back. I always say to everyone, it isn't a race. And you don't have to give all your company away to investors either. Mm, Very, very good advice. And so with that, and now 25 years behind you, can you share any of your future plans or your ambition? You're still such an ambitious lady. What, What does the future look like for the White Company? Well, I recently have a new CEO who joined the business a year ago. So we're, we're on our next phase of growth, our next five-year plan. We're aiming to double the size of the business uh, in the next five years. That will include more growth in international, more growth in digital, the introduction of some really exciting new product ranges. We're going to be 25 this year. I've just shot our first book uh, which has been really really? exciting oh amazing that will be coming out in September and that will be to celebrate reaching 25 years old and we're you know we're just we're really excited we've got a huge amount of projects in the pipeline yeah well it sounds like you're still on this path as if you were almost just beginning again because it's just every I can imagine every year just presents more opportunity not that you finish something or you're just about to get to the destination I'm sure it's the same it's it's just what the opportunities and what could the white company do I couldn't end this interview with such a retail guru without touching on the future of the high street I've been asking a few of my guests now this as I feel We need to be having this conversation so that we can start to understand what the future is and help shape it for our future generations. You know, we need communities in this country all over the world. And I feel, unfortunately, if I leave it to maybe the government or anything like that, you know, these conversations, the real ones, aren't happening enough. And it can't be that sad day where we don't have high streets anymore because once that happens, we can't go back. What do you feel is the future and how can businesses adapt to survive so I believe passionately the way that the way to look at this is to sort of take a step back and to ask ourselves what kind of world do we want our children to live in in the next 10 years in the next 20 years and I think it's critical we have some long-term visioning that takes place our towns are absolutely critical you know they are the center of people's lives and when the weekend comes Mm -hmm. popping into town is part of weekend life it whether it's to go and do your weekly shop to -hmm. meet a friend for a coffee to go and do some a keep fit class to watch your children 
play sport in the sports field. And I think, you know, our town's absolutely crucial because they are a centre of community as we start to live in a more and more plugged-in world. So I think we all need to work really, really hard together to work out how to make our towns and high streets a thriving hub and centre that we can all love and enjoy. I think what's so fascinating there, Chrissy, what you've mentioned there is one of the things I don't think we're talking about enough. Yes, there's the future of the business model on the high street, the Amazons versus the greengrocers and all of that conversation. But I think you brought up something so critical. Our mental health is suffering already. If we deplete the places that we congregate as humans, what is going to happen? And so it's all of our responsibilities to support what's on our high streets today, the small shops, the independents, keep that going. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Wow, I could talk to you all day. I'm sitting in like this, the most incredible office, like the white company alive. And I'm sitting with you, who I said has inspired my career. You are a woman who has made this business happen, but you're a woman who has brought such joy with your vision on product, on brand. You're very special and you're highly inspirational to me. I can't tell you if I go back 15 years and I sat there before Not On The High Street was ever even thought of or Holly & Co, you were really a beacon for me. So uh, it's a real career momentous moment for me to be sitting here in your office. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Holly, thank you so much and thank you for all the support and amazing things you do to encourage the next generation. Thank you. At this point, I give this analogy that running your own business is like this crazy roller coaster that we're on and some days we're really on and up and then before we know it we're straight on the way down I'd love to ask you what might have been your biggest low so far in your business life the toughest times are when things aren't going well uh, and things need fixing or that the team needs changing but you learn when you hit a time like this you have to act and you have to make changes and you have to do things differently. Having children and making it all work can be quite challenging. I had times when I I definitely felt exhausted. But you learn how to cope with that and you get much better at finding your way through. Appointing the right CEO and the right team who really understand the brand really understand the culture is the most critical thing you will ever do and ultimately when things are not feeling right stick to your brand guidelines the brand guidelines that set you on the path to success and know that it's okay to slow down when it's needed and conversely your greatest high It's always amazing when someone tells you they love the white company. It's amazing when you can see that your team are truly united behind the vision, when you can stand back and feel enormous pride in how they're working together, and when you can see what you're making and doing is making your customer really happy. That's the most amazing feeling. Wow. And something I've been asking my guests is, is there someone that you could personally recommend that I could interview? Yes, lots. <laughs> so who, who's someone um, that has inspired you that you think I could speak to? Oh, gosh, there's so many amazing uh, women who've inspired me. But Julieta Dexter would be an amazing person to talk to. Um, she is the founder and the CEO of the communication store. And Over her journey, she has helped so many different brands to gain great exposure and create great campaigns. So I think she'd be a wonderful person to talk to. Thank you so much for that recommendation. And as I said, Chrissy, thank you so much for your time. I'm blessed that you said yes to me, even to start with. It was one of those moments where I was like, 
one of my idols. She said yes. She said yes to this podcast. So I was so excited to come here today. And at the end of this interview, as I do to all of my guests, I ask them, would they mind sharing a letter that they've written to their younger selves? And certainly this is one, Chrissy, that I can't wait to hear. So I hand over to you. Holly, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. So... This is a letter to my younger self at the age of 15. Glasses on, now I'm 50. Dear Chrissy, I know your school days have not been that happy or easy for you, but know that school really isn't easy for a lot of young people. And as you grow older and wiser, you will realise that being one of the cool gang really isn't important. Look for your friends amongst those who have similar interests, a sense of humour, and who support and take a genuine interest in others. One day you will look back and remember how incredible your mother was during this tricky time. How brilliantly she supported you, and how by encouraging you to ride competitively, she has equipped you with probably the greatest skill for life. You have learnt that it is okay to fail and that tomorrow you can just have another go. You have learnt that to win requires enormous dedication, commitment, and a lot of failures along the way. As you embark on the next stage of your journey, you will discover that it is also okay not to be a great academic, and that it is this that has made you creative and approach things in a different way. Three of your wonderful children will be dyslexic and you'll discover it was almost certainly you who passed this on. Try and overcome your shyness. Know that when you enter a crowded room, lots of others will be feeling exactly the same way. Instead, be brave, just say hello and smile. That dodgy collection of clothes you're currently sitting up late sewing in the attic right now and the fashion show you organise for charity will lead you to leave school next year and start to discover where you really belong. You'll have two amazing years studying couture at college, a subject you will finally love and you will finally pass out a top student. During an amazing five years working on magazines, a computer will finally solve your dreadful spelling and you'll make friends for life. And you'll learn what it takes to organise a shoot, create a beautiful image and produce a great article. Although, beware, you will start there as receptionist and almost get fired for being just that little bit too over-friendly when Duran Duran approached your reception desk. You will marry the most amazing man who will be a real inspiration in so many different ways. He will be your greatest friend and your soulmate, although you'll need to learn to love speed a bit more and show a bit of interest in cars. You will go on to have four children who will mean everything to both of you. And by the way, you'll turn into a version of your mum. You too will be dragging your girls out of bed at 5am at the weekend to head off to a competition with the horses all over again. In about 10 years, you'll discover why you always had a yearning to paint those patterned walls in your bedroom white. As you embark on what will become the most incredible experience, know that if you are ever unsure... It's good to ask for help. Some incredible people will become part of your life and be generous enough to help you when the going gets tough, including your children. During challenging times, try not to let worry keep you awake at night. It just doesn't help. All it does is makes you feel tired the next day. Instead, write down your worries Make time with your incredible team to find good solutions and then do them. You are someone who will want to try and do too many things all at once. You will learn it's better to do five things brilliantly than ten things badly. 
Life and building a great business isn't a race. It's about quality, not quantity. Sleep well and sleep comfortably. You will discover that sleeping well is vital for a healthy, balanced, busy life. And you will share this belief far and wide. Always be someone who finds a way to make things you really believe in happen. At times when you ask for things, the answer will be no. But if you ask again, you will see it can be life-changing. And finally, you will always love Duran Duran, even though they nearly got you fired. Keep dancing, turn up the music. It's so good for the soul. Gosh, <laughs> I just, I sit here in front of an idol of mine and um, you so let us in on your letter and you're doing such an amazing job with the Prince's Trust and genuinely, genuinely, anyone listening, I'm sitting in front of a lady where it really matters to her and you're giving so much to us all by just being you, by building this incredible company, but by still caring you're going to inspire so many people you've completely inspired me and and i just look forward to keep watching you win at it all thank you chrissy thank you thank you thanks natwest again for sponsoring this podcast it's great to partner with an organization that believes in empowering people in business that's why they developed the natwest business hub it's full of information tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode of conversations of inspiration I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come then bring them